Live from our man caves in Virginia Beach, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, Blem. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 3, Episode 17. This is your host, Blem. Listeners, thank you for joining us again for another episode. This is your co-host, Mike D. The halfway point of the 2021 MLS season is upon us, and the playoff race in the East is heating up. The Columbus crew and D.C. United face off this weekend with an important three points on the line heading into the back half of the season. We'll preview that match and also relive, recap, and rejoice the U.S. men's national team's second trophy of the summer as they defeated Mexico in the Gold Cup final on Sunday. We can't do this alone, though, Mike D. So joining us on this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild is dedicated MLS vlogger and D.C. United season ticket holder Cheyenne of the popular YouTube channel Between Clean Sheets. Cheyenne, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Hi, thank you. I can't believe you guys have been going for three seasons. That's so impressive. Yeah, we've only been doing this for a year. We probably jumbled up our seasons quite a bit. We started it. Then we paused it for MLS is back, and then we started season two. So it's been all over the place. So we've been going at it for about a year. But Cheyenne, I understand that you're in the great state of Ohio. How is my hometown of Columbus, Ohio, treating you? Um, the weather's been great. High Street is uh, as fun as ever. I feel like a local since I got here on Sunday. Coming from Cincinnati, we played, obviously, at TQL on Saturday night. And while the team went back to D.C. and rested, I just decided to drive north. And I've been here for a couple of days and will be here for the game tomorrow night. So I've been to Lower.com Field before, and I'm excited to go again when it's uh, when it's my team to root for. So we're going to leave on Thursday. I'm not stuck here forever, but um, I love Ohio, to, to be quite honest, and Columbus is my favorite. So I'm, gl- I'm glad to be here. So I'm from Columbus, but now I only go back there about once a year. You just said high street's been great. What have you been doing since you've been there? Uh, a lot of brunching, a lot of working out of coffee shops. And on Monday, believe it or not, I got an approval from the front office of the crew to do some filming at Historic Crew Stadium. And I hired a, an official videographer, got my... Uh, <laughs> got all my own equipment and had some ideas for a bit of audio that I created. And I, not that I'm going to spoil it if I share anything now, because it'll be out shortly, but I actually composed a piano ballad version of the, we love you soccer chant. And for those who don't know, I minored in classical piano when I went to college and play the organ and the piano for my church often. But I felt like with the failure to make the World Cup a couple years ago, failure to qualify for the Olympics, and just the general sadness about having soccer last year, I decided to put together this very sad, dramatic <laughs> version of the We Love You chant. And I didn't want to put it out and just have people listen to it. So I decided to film kind of a tribute to Map Free, now known as Historic Crew Stadium, and, and kind of close it out for all that it provided for me as a U.S. soccer fan in the past uh, 10 years or so. Um, And boy, is it going to be interesting. (laughs) Um, I saw some of the video and I feel like it's 
it's going to be good. I'm excited. And I'm glad that someone else is editing it. So that's always the best part when somebody else gets to edit the stuff, right? That's that's me. That's me tonight, right? That's that's Blake tonight. Blake's editing the podcast tonight. (laughs) So um, no, I pick editing podcast over editing video every single day. Sometimes I don't even I mean, you can't see me now for those listening, but I'm laying in bed and have been wearing lounge clothes. So I can't do that when I make video. And I basically have to put a face on, do my hair and everything. And and then I have the pleasure of watching my own face for several hours, wondering like, why do you look so dumb? Why did you say that? Did you not realize the hair was sticking up on the top of your head? So yeah, podcast is so much better to edit. How you're You're laying in bed as a guest on our podcast. <laughs> Between clean sheets. I am. I am between clean sheets (laughs) in Columbus, Ohio. So between clean sheets on the road. So so good room, good room service at the hotel you're at. Yeah, it's decent. I haven't asked for much. It's nice and quiet, though, since it's during the week. So but they got you clean sheets. Nice. Oh, yes. Blake is just always ready with the with the puns and the just all that. But you mentioned you're you're leaving Thursday. I'm actually heading up to uh, or over to columbus uh, or rather um, mount vernon uh, ohio my girlfriend's from there and so we're going to a wedding so i'll be going that way thursday and thankfully we're stopping at her grandma's house which is eight hours away instead of the nine and a half to ten where her actual father lives so you'll be going and i'll be coming but before we really dive into the episode cheyenne tell our listeners about your vlogs why you started this journey and where they can watch and follow you on social media Yes. So I started my YouTube channel about four or five years ago, and I think I've started to take it a little bit more seriously two or three years ago. And I started it basically to inform my friends and people who are very shallow or occasional soccer fans of the goings on in Major League Soccer and in American soccer. Because as you've seen from the Gold Cup, we've got these two competing rosters now, but for a while under Klinsman Arena, et cetera, it was a mix. And there were a lot of MLS players on the roster. And for someone who's only paying attention to U.S. soccer every four years, they're like, well, where the heck did this guy come from? Or uh, where can I see him in between uh, World Cup or, or any sort of international tournament? And I enjoyed providing basic level information, nothing too technical, nothing too analytical, but it be kind of, it kind of became a travel vlog and the opportunity to show people that when I'm, am in a city supporting my team, here are all the things that I can do to take advantage of being in that city. Plus while you're in that city, there's a major league soccer team there. These are all the things that you can do to enjoy a game day or enjoy a match experience at said stadium. It's really interesting. It's so funny that you said that because, I mean, I was just speaking with one of I had an indoor game last night um, that Blake was supposed to be at that. He, but he wasn't there because it was too late for him. But one of our one of our players, uh, we were talking about the Gold Cup and he was like, you know, I don't even know any of those guys on the roster. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's information like that <laughs> is absolutely necessary, especially because we have so many young players in the pool right now. And there are these competing um, teams that, that Greg Berhalter is is putting together. But your vlog and fandom have, have taken you to some of the newest and best stadiums across the league, including TQL in Cincinnati, Lower.com Field in Columbus, Audi Field in D.C., PayPal Park in San Jose, Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta, Toyota Stadium in Dallas, and plenty more. So 
This question comes from at John's Mohawk on Twitter. Of the stadiums you've visited, which is your favorite stadium and why? That's a great question. And I always answer it by saying it depends on the experience you want. But to be honest, I'm really hot on TQL right now because on the outside, it looks like an official proper European stadium. And on the inside, they've got the largest shop, club shop of any team in MLS. They've got a beautiful club level that has this, I almost call it a veranda, but I guess it's a patio where you can sit in a lounge chair and watch the game, or you can go to your actual seat and watch the game. It's kind of on the cusp of downtown. I would say in terms of location, there are some other stadiums in the league that are that are a, a little bit better positioned in their town. But I think with it being so fresh and the fact that Cincinnati, despite what you're seeing on the field, is packing the stadium out and willing to put on a show and much to the chagrin of a lot of people in Columbus now hosting this USA-Mexico qualifier in the fall. I do think that that is probably the, the most interesting and most exciting soccer experience. And that's, again, that's uh, with everything in mind. I love Mercedes-Benz Stadium because it's so dang loud and everyone is so excited and almost everyone is on their feet for most of the match and the TIFO is fantastic. But for something soccer specific, I really think TQL has done an amazing job. All right. Well, you heard it here, FC Cincinnati fans, two-time Wooden Spoon winners. You guys have the best stadium in Major League Soccer. <laughs> it, they've got to have something. Got to have something, right? I mean, they're, they're doing better. but Yeah, they're getting there. They're getting there. Cheyenne, I saw you were at the march to the match during the Cincinnati-DC game. How was that experience? So what I really liked about that was the march started – where basically everyone was pre-gaming, which I did not see from the start. I kind of made my way around, but I caught them on their way to a park. I believe, I want to say Washington Park, if I'm remembering correctly, but they made their way to a park where all of the FCC-sponsored activities were happening and families were there and there was music playing, there was a stage. There were, I believe, like the college marshal uh people tailgating because their soccer team was going to be honored during the game. So it was basically a, a very casual gathering of all different kinds of people and families, which was huge. But to have the march come through there and then pick everybody up and have people of all ages feel like they're included in something that impressive was really neat. And I enjoyed that it brought the energy that you don't normally see with families or with casual fans who are showing up but feel maybe too timid uh, or don't know what to expect in that situation. And I really enjoyed that that basically set the set the stage and the standard for the energy that was going to be a part of the entire stadium, not just the supporter section that they call the Bailey. So I'll go ahead and plug something Mike D. I talked about last episode. I was fortunate enough to travel back to Lower.com Field when the Columbus crew played against Nashville. And I'm so used to going to Historic Crew Stadium when you tailgate in the parking lot. And there's no march to the match feeling. And now that Columbus crew moved closer to downtown right on Nationwide Boulevard, there's all those parking lots right at Nationwide Arena where the Blue Jackets play. Then there's Clipper Stadium. And then there is well, Huntington Park, that is. And then Lower.com Field. 
and there's a couple bars in between and now they just passed legislation where you know you can grab a beer at one place and go bar hopping so i think that's one really cool thing that the columbus crew and the the city of columbus did when finding this location and building the stadium was they were kind of eliminating the tailgate feel but they were promoting more togetherness outside of the stadium and marching to the match and I talked about it last week. One of my coolest experiences there, despite Wiseman say before the match was after a zero zero draw, every fan that was in Nordeca with me still had the same amount of energy. And we marched down nationwide Avenue together, still chanting Columbus crew chants, which I thought was, was really, really cool. So that's something Columbus is fostering and their location and environment is, is fostering that as well. So I hope you get to enjoy right. that. Did you get to enjoy anything like that when you went there for their game against the Revs, the first game at lower.com? Oh my gosh, yes. And that march felt like it lasted for five miles. <laughs> I ended up finding myself behind Dr. Edwards, uh, y'all's new owner, and Dante Washington, former player for the crew in U.S. soccer. And and also Zach Steffen was there. And that was kind of what felt like the nucleus of the whole thing because cameras were surrounding them, the excitement was surrounding them. But it started so far away and picked me up about halfway through. And even then, it just went on and on and on. But the energy was there the entire time. And the streets were cleared. Uh, security and law enforcement made sure that everyone was um, accommodated. And all of the cars, even that were, were close enough to the march, were so into it. Um, it seemed like it was a it was a show for sure, which I really, really appreciated. And I don't I think I'll probably be a, an audience member rather than a participant tomorrow. But I do want to see it and see what it might be like on a on a midday Wednesday guy, Wednesday game. I hope it's packed. They've had good numbers so far, but we've talked a lot about stadium experiences and your favorite stadiums and the marches to matches. But let's talk about what happens on the pitch itself. So let's have a little bit of fun here. 36 goals were scored in last week's matches. Joseph Martinez scored an absolute golasso in the first minute versus Orlando City because, of course, he did. He owns Orlando. Gustavo Bo can't stop scoring bar down bangers as he tallied his 10th of the season. Ryan Ravelusen, I think I said that right, probably not, scored a bicycle kick in what looked like downtown L.A. traffic, making that his fourth and just 518 minutes with the Galaxy in, I believe, three and three games. Also, Pedro Santos scored a clinical PK at the death to rescue the crew from a complete misery. Uh, but I wouldn't pick that one. But of the goals that were scored this last week, what was your goal of the week and why? Cheyenne, I'll go with you first. I think that bicycle kick for LA Galaxy was amazing, particularly because the celebration was dedicated to the Dos Santos family. And um, Jonathan Dos Santos lost his father, I believe, recently. And the game itself from start to finish was was quite enjoyable to watch. But a bicycle kick is not something I've seen seen very often. So that's the goal that I'm going to go with. Four goals to choose from there for the Galaxy. They're they're looking like they might be a top team in the West. Mike D, what's your goal of the week? I have three listed here, but I'm going to go with with Joseph Martinez. I mean, how can we not? Um he scored a beautiful goal in Orlando, you know, against Orlando. Um, and this finish really looked like a vintage Joseph finish prior to his, his injury. Um, you know, the play started with Joseph and it finished with Joseph and it was an absolute, you know, technical power behind it finish that, that, that curled in 
uh, hit the right hand post and, and in. So my goal of the week is going to Joseph Martinez. Not a, not a bad shout there. He owns Orlando. It's fitting that he scores his first goal back after uh, a new head, a new interim head coach comes in. You could have also picked Marcelino Moreno. He hit an absolute banger. I could pick Gustavo Bo, but I feel like I would give you the same exact spiel as I gave last week, Mike D, when I went bar down, bar down and talked about that for 10 minutes. Yeah. But I, I, I'm a man that loves the simple things in a game. Jesus Ferreira, FC Dallas, game-winning goal in the 51st minute. He received a pass from across his body, opened up under pressure, and with just one step, smashed it past one of the best goalkeepers in the league, Camelia. The prep touch was clinical, and to generate that power off just one step was absolutely silly. That is my goal of the week. And hey, I think that was one of FC Dallas's either their first or one of their only road wins this year. So to do that against Sporting Kansas City, who's been pretty strong, is is impressive. So I'll give you that. Yeah, and also shout out to Paxton Pomacall. Got his first goal of the season. He's been struggling to get minutes, struggling with injury, and he scored a very nice goal, I believe, within the first 10 minutes, hit a nice knuckleball near stick. Great goal from Paxton. All right, so now we're going to transition into our segment, All the Small Things where we pick a moment from one of the matches that may have gone unnoticed but deserves some appreciation. So, Blake, I'm going to start with you on this one. Cheyenne, if you have something for this, you know, you can chime in. I'll let Blake go first, and then I'll do mine. And then if there's something you want to chime in on, then you absolutely can. So, Blake, let's start with you. All right. Kyle Duncan's ninth-minute assist to Wilkie Carmona. Red Bull right back Kyle Duncan carried the ball long enough for Revs midfielder Matt Polster to cut, to overcommit to shutting down the short pass to Carmona. Instead of playing the ball to Carmona's feet with Polster on his back, Duncan played the ball into space to his right of Carmona, so Wilkie didn't even have to touch the ball to turn and find space for himself. With the simple angled pass into the vacated space, Carmona was able to beat Polster to the ball and smash it home from 30 out with his first touch. Like these, sometimes your teammates make your job easier for you, and that's exactly what Kyle Duncan did with this assist. We always talk about the half turn. We always talk about the Dutch turn in the midfield. But if your teammate can set you up with a perfectly timed and weighted pass, the best turn requires no touch at all. That's right. So you, you mentioned how maybe the expertise here came from Kyle Duncan, but I don't know that Kyle Duncan actually played that ball there on purpose. <laughs> Doesn't let matter. Him let him have it. Yeah, I'm going to let him have thing, it. Not a small thing on that, purpose. Yeah. But, a, no. but an, another thing that I will add to that was the way that Wilkie Carmona did check to the ball. He checked to the ball like he wanted to his feet, like he had the intention to playing it back to Kyle Duncan. And he didn't because as soon as they made that eye contact, he was already splitting off when Kyle Duncan played that pass. So I think it was intentional. It looked intentional to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It did. I think. I, I loved I love that that dummy when you have a player checking in and then turn the other way and to see him do that Carmona do that and split those two defenders split Matt Polster and then you know hit the ball first time just absolutely well done so my all the small things comes from the Seattle San Jose game last Saturday and happened in the 20th minute so Yamar Gomez uh, receives the ball and is looking for an outlet forward uh, he's right in front of the 18 the defending 18 and he finds Kellen Rowe who's making a checking run in. Uh, Kellen Rowe is checking in right under the the half field line, and uh, Yamar Gomez plays him uh, a really pacey ball into his feet, and you have Tanner Beeson who's right on Kellen Rowe's back as he's checking to the ball, and Yamar Gomez plays the ball in. Kellen Rowe, um, in his first touch, uh, with his right foot, just absolutely turns and gets 
the the weight of the pat or the weight of the the touch so perfect that he turns him and the ball goes down the right hand side of the line into space and he's in um, making a run down the right hand wing there. Tanner Beeson ends up catching up to him. Kellen Rowe beats him uh, and then is ultimately fouled by Judson, uh, who sets up a free kick for um, the the Sounders right there in in their attacking third. So uh, my all the small things is is that that first touch awareness by Kellen Rowe to to turn Tanner Beeson there and then get into the attack on the right hand wing. Absolutely perfect touch there. And uh, you don't see Kellen Rowe do this kind of thing often. So um, well done to Kellen Rowe. I've said it a lot this year. I think Kellen Rowe is a Swiss army knife and he he's able to do it all for the Sounders. I loved him with the Revs and everybody he's played for. But hometown kid from Seattle, he's done really well for himself since being there. He really has. He really has. He's he's done a great job in Seattle. I want to add a small thing, and I think it technically counts. It's not MLS specific, but it is an MLS player. In the Gold Cup game where USA played Qatar and James Sands caused a penalty for Qatar, there were uh, what felt like several minutes, but I think it ended up being just enough time where the ref was trying to control the game before the penalty was taken, that Kellen Acosta stepped in and really, really rattled Hassan Alhados uh, to the point where he missed the penalty, which is huge. But I believe Kellen Acosta was uh, asked about this by a member of the Rapids media this week, and he said that he really trash-talked him for a, a, for a good long while, which I think made all the difference for, the, for them to win that game and go on to the final. You're singing Blake's praises right now. Kellen Acosta has been on our podcast, as, as you may know. Um, Blake, yeah. I mean, I love Kellen Acosta as well. Blake loves him, I think, a little bit more. <laughs> but, yeah, I, you love to see something like that. You know, the mind game is, is huge there, and he did it absolutely spectacularly. I do have That's one nice more. I, I do have one more all the small thing. It's not U.S. Women's National Team related. It's not MLS related. It's U.S. Women's National Team related. As you guys may know, they just got knocked out of the semifinals. Granted, they get to play in a bronze medal match coming up, but they lost to Canada. And after the match, there are pictures going around Twitter and the Internet of Carly Lloyd, who is 39 years old, probably in her last major tournament for the U.S. Women's National Team, running wind sprints out there after losing to Canada to be essentially knocked out of the tournament. So my all the small thing there is just the mentality, the winning mentality of a player that's that's been there and done that. And even though they're probably done with the national team, they're still pushing themselves to be better and also be a good role model for the young up and coming U.S. women's national team that is. Sorry, a little bit of motivation for everybody. OK, so even if you're down, you're out, you lose, push yourself to be better. All right, guys. But now that all this now that all the small things are out of the way, let's focus on the huge matchup between MLS Originals and two teams only separated by three points in the Eastern Conference standings. The Columbus Crew versus DC United. Columbus sits sixth in the East on 24 points, while DC United sit eighth, one spot below the playoff line on 21 points. Heading into the second half of the season, Cheyenne, how big of a game is this for DC's momentum? And what are some of your keys to the match from a DC United perspective? I think this game is huge because on in the table, I guess you could say, to your point, Columbus and D.C. are pretty evenly matched on paper. The last time that we played them, we were suffering from so many injuries and were not able to connect. And at that point, I believe own goal was one of our biggest contributors uh, on our, our stat sheets. So 
with all of that in mind and recognizing that we have really hustled to where we are now, and especially coming out of this zero zero draw in Cincinnati after going down two men because of red cards, I think that this will be the start of an upward trajectory if we are able to win and then capitalize on that momentum. But it is a double game week for both teams. We have a little bit more time. I know crew plays Saturday and we'll play Sunday at home against Montreal, but we have uh, about half as many injuries as we did the last time we played. And, and I think that we're, we're really looking to prove ourselves. And I think this will be a, a good one to do so. So, Cheyenne, we had this later on in the podcast, but you talk about the injuries that you guys have right now. DC are officially missing, I believe, seven guys, Moses Nyman and Mora, both out due to suspension. Ola Kamara, I believe, is still on concussion protocol. He may be. You know, before we sat down for this, I tried to see if I could spot him anywhere in the team social media, and I couldn't. So I'm, I'm worried that might be the case. Yeah, me too. Uh, Brendan Hines-Ike is also out. Perez, Flores, and Canals, I believe, are still out. And Ariola and Pines, shout out to them for being Gold Cup champions. I don't know if they're going to make that quick turnaround. Maybe Pines, Ariola put in a shift against Mexico. So so we'll see. But for the crew, we've seen guys like Marlon Hairston, Abdul Salam, and even left-back Pedro Santos step up for an injury-riddled crew roster. Who should we expect to see step up for D.C. this week when they are short so many players? Well, he has been stepping up already. I do think Kevin Paredes, our 18-year-old homegrown, is going to do a great job of that. And I I struggle really to see what we're going to do with our with our number nine void and what with our forward and offense situation. However, we had this kind of they called it a capital cup. We had this exhibition tournament planned during part of the international break. And it started as a way for our bench to get some time. And then it, at the end of it, it kind of became a moment for our USL affiliate Loudon United to, to play and get some minutes. But Jordi Reyna has, I think made a, a huge change in the way that he approaches the game under Lasada. And you notice that in our game against Cincinnati on Saturday, he was there pressing uh, he was making a lot of the uh, run-up plays and connections for for both, unfortunately, for I believe both the goals that were later recalled that Moses Nyman should have had. Um, but I think that he's going to be for us that Pedro Santos uh, <laughs> player that hopefully will will connect it and create chances for us. But to your point, yeah, I don't think Giassi... Paul Ariola or Donovan Pines, I would not expect them to to play at all tomorrow just because of how exhausting things have been. And and like I said, the double game week and needing to preserve some of these guys for later on in the week. Yeah, I saw that. Well, obviously, Giassi played 120 against Mexico. I saw a stat today that said he ran 9.9 miles in that game, which is absolutely astounding. <laughs> Holy Jesus. mackerel for, for a forward. Yeah, that just seems that actually is very emblematic of that game, though, because all I can describe it as is a hustle, which I know we'll get to later. But that is just so much, especially given the entire tournament and every all the ways in which he participated and contributed i think 
everyone has very mixed feelings about Paul Ariola, and he didn't play uh, the entire time on Sunday. But I mean, that guy was coming back from an ACL injury last year that sidelined him almost the entire season. And then earlier this season, his brief stint in Swansea created a whole situation. And the, every single time he got, he went down on the field during this tournament, I was like, no, God, please, no. So I just want him to rest for a little bit. We'll use him probably Sunday against Montreal. So, Shine, you talked about, you know, we talked about a lot of guys missing this week for D.C., but they still have a few difference makers um, in the starting 11, you know, uh, including Kevin Paredes, like you said, Julian Gressel and Andy Nahar. How important are these three guys to D.C.'s success, not only in this game, but this year going forward? They are crucial, I think, because none of them have really they don't have any of that Ben Olsen baggage to shed which means that they are very high energy and recover very well uh, between games. So when we're in a situation like we have been where Edison Flores, this guy that we've spent a ton of money on and are locked into a pretty extensive contract with for, I believe, the next two years, and uh, the Ola Kamara situation where he's been in and out, has done well for us, but hasn't been consistent, the midfield is just so... uh, kind of our saving grace I would say and those guys you can tell even in the games where like Cincinnati we oh man we had what 25 30 percent possession that entire game those guys were still the at the same level of energy at the end of, of the match that they were at the beginning which is is really crucial for us so we, we were talking a little bit about Kevin Paredes I saw a tweet come out today. It's a little bit controversial. I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. So I saw a tweet that came out today from MLS Buzz, I believe. Kevin Paredes is the best left wing back prospect in MLS since Alfonso Davies. (gasps) Oh, that just makes my heart sore. I love it. I love it so much. I agree. You know what? I don't agree with MLS Buzz on anything, much of anything. Pardon, Pardon me. I don't want to start a fight here, but. I I am inclined to agree with that sentiment, truly. I absolutely love Kevin Paredes' his style of play. I believe he's played left back, left wing back, left wing for DC United this year. He's done a little bit of everything. He's really technical. He's calm and composed on the ball. He's athletic. He's edgy. I, I really like him. He's got two goals. And one of the things I have loved the most about him this season is what he did to the FC Cincinnati defender uh, in the left corner in that game over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, in in the highlights of that game, when, you, when you're dealing with a situation where there were no goals and, and we had two of our most crucial players go off with red cards, that was definitely one that you, you'd highlight and, and remember from from that very rough situation, which even before that game, by the way, Hernan Lasada, our coach, said that winning games with how banged up the team is right now is a miracle. <laughs> so I think to have to have that, uh, to have a point out of that, but to also have situations where an 18-year-old DC United uh, Academy player, kid, he is a he is a kid. He is so small, um, but is very, very good on the ball like that. It's nice to have the approval of MLS Buzz and other people who 
don't pay attention to our team as much as I do. <laughs> I mean, aside from his attacking prowess, I mean, the kid's a tackling machine, too. Um, I mean, he's I think he's got 13 interceptions. So uh, he, the kid's aggressive. And you love to see that from from, like you said, a kid. Yeah. Yeah. There's a picture out there somewhere that I'll have to tweet after this that is basically it looks like his entire body has just cl- clawed its way onto Jeff Cameron to go around him to get this ball. And I thought, little Kevin against Jeff Cameron, go for it. Go for it, dude. You Crush love the confidence. <laughs> yeah, love the confidence. Yeah. yeah. So you talk about Kevin Predis being this young kid, this little guy that's coming into his own. And, you know, granted, he's, his name is being tossed around for the U.S. men's national team left back depth chart because that's – not saying that's a weak part of our roster, but it's kind of open right now. But he is one of the five young DC United homegrowns on this roster, including some guy I don't know a whole lot about, Jacob Green, but also Moses Nyman, <laughs> Donovan Pines, who we just saw for the U.S. Men's National Team, and Griffin Yao. We always talk about FC Dallas Academy or the Red Bull Academy, but is it time to put some respect on DC Academy's name? I think it's our turn, yes. And for some context, DC United just recently, within the past two years, announced that they weren't going to charge money for this academy to the extent that they had been. And I don't know how familiar you are with the academy system and process, but the geographical boundaries are so specific and kind of dumb, in my opinion. And a lot of our guys whose names you won't know now but may know soon enough their entire families uproot themselves for the philadelphia academy which is above and beyond one of the best academies in this in this entire country from a academics soccer facilities like room and board perspective from literally every angle philadelphia is is above and beyond and dc isn't so to have these guys doing as well as they have and that combined with the University of Maryland soccer pipeline that, that we seem to be benefiting from as well, as that's where Donovan Pines came from um, after the academy and on his way to D.C. United. I think that there's there's going to be a lot of talk about our academy, depending on where these guys go. And I hate to think about it because I'm enjoying Moses and Kevin, especially on our team right now. But depending on where they end up playing in the next couple of years, I think a a lot of people will be paying attention to that pipeline that we're creating. Absolutely. And you also have uh, Loudoun County that is kind of a middle ground in between the Academy and the first team, you know, guys can go play there, get some professional experience and then, and grow there. So I think that's an important piece of the puzzle as well. Right. And we've, we've, uh, you know, the USL teams and MLS teams go back and forth on their players. We have relied a lot on that exchange. Eric Sorga, a guy who subbed in in our game against Cincinnati, had been playing on our first team for the past year or so and was sent back to Loudoun until this game this past Saturday because of the the issues with numbers and, and bodies that we're having. But uh, Skundrich, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, he's another one of those guys that Hernan Losada noticed at Loudon and has brought up. And I, I think that that really helps us in these times where we're dealing with injuries 
to kind of decide what we want for ourselves. And, and the benefit there is knowing that they're there. They're not something that we have to go very far out of our way to find or wait for a transfer window to make happen, which is really nice. Mike, I talked about this a little bit last podcast with Seattle. It's nice for a head coach to be able to either look at their academy or look at a USL club that's nearby. And especially now with, you know, the international break, not the international break, but Gold Cup going on, all the international tournaments and all the injuries that are happening. It's nice to have those resources available. And it seems like D.C. through their academy system and through Loudoun County also have that available. But don't forget, folks, this is a Columbus crew versus D.C. preview. So, Mike D., get ready to get back on the mic, baby, because I got the Columbus crew keys to the match. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to give you the three, and I'm going to let your analytical, wrinkly brain run with it. (laughs) (laughs) Cruz keys to win the match against D.C. United, win the wings, possess the ball with purpose, and move the ball quickly, and play between the lines. Ready for my wrinkly brain? Give it to me. So, D.C. are second in the league in successful pressures to lead to turnovers at 32.2%. And with this success, they're sitting right behind the powerhouse themselves, New York Red Bulls, who are sitting at 32.9% um, with success on pressures resulting in turnovers. So that's a huge jump for D.C., and, and they haven't had that in previous years. So last year's D.C. was second to last in pressing success. So they're much improved, and the crew are going to need to be ready for that. I think if they don't play quicker and deal with the pressure, they're going to be in trouble playing against D.C. United. That said, we talked about DC missing some key pieces. The crew need to take advantage of the fact they are thin and may have to move some guys around. Um, with DCU United playing in a three back, um, you know, three four three with three guys in the back, um, their weakness is going to be, like you said, um, the crew's success on the wings. So the crew need to capitalize in this, and they need to be better in this aspect where they haven't been. Luis Diaz is a force to be reckoned with when he is firing on all cylinders. So he's going to be my key player to watch in this one for the crew. And Molino has yet to hit any sort of form. But as we saw with Minnesota, he's very capable of doing so. It's, for me, just a matter of when. And then in the midfield, DCU's playing a flat four right now. And the crew can exploit this by recognizing when their mids are out of shape. So in the 3-4-3, DCU's mids have to be disciplined. Their two center mids have to be disciplined, and one goes attacking forward and one has to sit back. But with these guys being hurt and them having to rotate, if if this isn't executed properly, then the crew are going to be able to exploit if they catch those those two midfielders higher up than they should be and then counterattack. And for the love of God, if the crew can play quicker and capitalize on, on this out of position midfield that we may see or we may not see. Hopefully we do see it a little bias there coming out of this, but if we, you know, if we do see that if the crew can recognize it and they can play quicker because they've been playing way too slow, then I think that they're going to have success. Mike T you talked about wing play. You were very high on Luis Diaz. You said he's the player to watch. You know who he's going to probably be matched up against. Who's he going to be matched up against Chuck? Kevin Paredes. Kevin P. This is a Kevin P. Stan account now, Mike. I just want to let you know, at least here on Blim's side, okay? <laughs> okay? Okay. Okay, but then on the other wing, do you know who Kevin Molino or Derek Etienne Jr. is going to be matched up against? Who, Chuck? Julian Gressel, okay? And Julian Gressel second in the league in big chances created only behind New England's Carlos Hill, who's going to run away 
with the single season assist record. And Julian Gressel, if they continue to play this counterattacking high press style the way he did in Atlanta, uh, Julian Gressel's a, a problem for DC United. Yes. And, he, and he could be a problem for Kevin Molino or Derek Etienne Jr. Agree? Absolutely. I agree. But if they can penetrate past them, that back three is really what we're looking forward to here. We're going to penetrate those wings. And, and these two guys, we need them to be better than they have been. We saw last season a lot with Luis Diaz. The guy's a burner up and down the wing. And we even saw a little bit of it last week. But we needed to be a little bit more consistent from him. And we just need Molino to show his true colors. We know what he can do. We know what he can do. Um, obviously, Harrison in the midfield has been playing really well with the absence of Artur, who's now out 10 to 12 weeks after going through um, sports hernia surgery. I'm not really worried about Zellerion. Um, I'm not really worried about Nagby. Um, our back line is our back line. Uh, we haven't lost a game at home yet. Um, aside from losing one of the, the worst games that we've lost probably in the last year or so against New York City FC mm-hmm. last last week, um, I think that they're going to bounce back and, and get their, their defense back into shape. I mean, in the, in the one, I think it was the second goal where um, – What's his name? Tiago Andrade. Mm-hmm. Tiago Andrade gets the ball, and and, and Harrison Offal is standing in front of him with five yards of space inside the 18. And and um, Keaton Parks makes a run from the top of the 18 where Nagby is tracking him, and then crosses over Jonathan Mensa, and it and appears that there should be a switch there. Jonathan Mensa's feet are stuck in the ground. Keaton Parks gets enough space there where Andrade's camped out he's sitting in a friggin' he's sitting in his beach chair waiting for the play to develop around him all fools watching him like what are you gonna do he's got his popcorn and he he finds keaton parks there to, to to slip it home so i mean that stuff can't happen and i think that it won't happen again um or else yeah it was it was a double nutmeg and i wasn't i wasn't gonna bring up the 4-1 l mike the i i don't want to i've moved past <laughs> that point okay because i hope tomorrow or today when you folks are listening to this podcast we show that as a team, we've also moved on and we're ready to turn a new leaf and we're a better team now. But w- one thing I, I want to harp on with uh, the Columbus crew is the way they possess the ball and their patterns of play and how slow it can be and how robotic it can be at times, moving the ball from side to side and lacking creativity. And and if Giassi's not back up front, we kind of lack that guy at the number nine. DC's press will cause us a problem because another team that's really good at the press just beat the shit out of us. New York City FC is one of the top teams in the league at winning the ball back in their attacking third. So they counter press like crazy, and so does DC United. So, Cheyenne, you ready? I'm you, so ready. How do you think DC's press and counter are going to affect the crew's possession-oriented play? To your point, the crew did not have – a a very enjoyable experience with the last team that played with that style. And I'll also refer back to the very first game at lower.com over 4th of July weekend. The revs went up 2-0 against the crew at home for that very reason. Now that's not to say that the crew can't climb back, but I do think that that could very easily be the case for this game. Um, Possession, like I mentioned before, does not seem to be an issue for us. Cincinnati, who is a different team entirely, possessed most of the game last Saturday. But I can count uh, a few goals that that the that DC United have scored recently 
where it has been a quick turnaround and turnover. And to your point earlier, Julian Gressel was actually named uh, team to the team of the week a couple weeks ago for simply pressing uh, a ball out of the back and turning it over for maybe, I don't know, two, three passes before it reached the back of the net in our game against the Red Bulls, which was a 1-0 victory. And I think that that is going to be hopefully um, something we can execute at the beginning of the game and will set the, set the tone, set the pace. I would rather us be maintaining the lead as opposed to climbing, climbing back and, and trying to, to win after being down, but it's not impossible for us. We ended up drawing two, two against Chicago a couple weeks back after going down two zero. So I do think though different styles, uh, Crew and DC United kind of exist in very similar spaces. So to to our point at the very beginning of this podcast, they are pretty evenly matched, though they are they are kind of apples and oranges in terms of of tactical approach. Yeah, I don't think you'll have to worry about clawing back. The crew have been uh, pretty lackluster in their creativity in the final third. <laughs> but to sum it all up, finally, what's your score prediction for this game, Cheyenne? Ooh, see, I want goals because I traveled to Ohio for goals and I haven't gotten any yet. Hold on, hold on. I listened to the Cincy Soccer Talk podcast, Cheyenne. I listened to the prediction segment. <laughs> and, you gave, and you gave two scores. Don't be safe here. I want you to be bold. Give us a score line that you believe in. I believe that we will win. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have some sort of Stockholm syndrome with that horrendous. Oh, I was thinking it too, as soon as you were saying. <laughs> um, I know, right? Well, I've got We Love You on the brain, so I just have U.S. soccer on the brain. Um, hmm, score predictions. I think, oh, I think it's going to be, if we lose, we lose 2-1. If we win, we win 1-0. You get two scores. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just can't help myself. I'm trying to cover my bases for why. I don't know. Because who could have predicted we would have beat Toronto 7-1? Who could even predict that we would have eked out a draw against Cincinnati with literally nine men on the field? I don't. I can't even begin to explain to you how asinine it is to try to predict the future with this league. And I, oh, I laugh think. every time people start talking about how exciting it is that they're putting sports books and stadiums and fantasy duel and bet MGM are, are all of these things that people are getting really excited about. I'm like, do you want to lose money on the Houston dynamo? Like, is that what you want to be doing with your life right now? Do you want to lose money on the San Jose earthquakes? Like, yeah, what, are so you think, what are you thinking? It's <laughs> so true. Blake says it to me almost every week, uh, especially last week. I mean, Seattle lost. Sporting Kansas City lost. Oh my I gosh, mean, yeah. Atlanta gave Orlando a run for their money. And you just never, every week, you just never know. It's truly anybody can win it at a given time. So I have, for my prediction, I have 2 1 crew. But I, I'm, I mean, I, I have mm -hmm. to. I have to. I have to. You know, you got it. <laughs> yeah. The crew I, don't lose I at home. The crew don't lose it. at home. So. Right, so and now I'm going to eat I, my words. <laughs> no, yeah, we're always, we do this to be wrong. So, Cheyenne, you picked a 2-1 crew win if DC does lose. Mike D, you picked a crew 2-1 win. I'll be a little bit different. I'm going to say, because the Columbus crew don't lose at home, we're not going to lose, but we're, 
think we'll get a shutout. Safe mm-hmm. would be one zero. I'm going two 0 Columbus Crew. Now you just I do told- recall we have Mr. Clean Sheet on our team, so I do. Seven. I'm going to stick with the one zero score line. I think Bill Hamid's going to continue his his streak and is not going to give you guys pretty much anything. That's I'll I'll go ahead and say that. I'll feel bold in saying that. There we go. Did I see that Bill Hamid now has 75 clean sheets in his MLS career? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And if he ke- continues at the pace he's at, he will definitely be in in the top three, if not the one or two spot for, for all-time clean sheets in this league, which I think he deserves, especially given his uh, kind of being on the outs with Greg Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team. That kind of going out the window will allow him to stay in the league and continue racking that number up. And I'm not going to say it's a consolation prize for him, but I do think that he deserves something for how hard he's worked. All right. So technically, Mike D, we are between possible clean sheets. DC just had a clean sheet. All right. So obviously, we could preview this Columbus Crew versus DC match forever, but we're going to take a quick break. Listeners, we'll be back in about 60 seconds. Stick around because we'll be discussing the U.S. men's national team triumphant 1-0 win over Mexico in the 2021 Gold Cup final. See you all in 60 seconds. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands to let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each added time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Added Time Outfitters. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 17 of MLS Gone Wild. Head over to AddedTimeOutfitters.com for all your soccer-inspired wristbands and apparel. Use code GONEWILD at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Like I said, leading into the ad, this past Sunday, the U.S. men's national team raised their second trophy in as many months after they beat Mexico, El Tri, our rivals down south, 1-0 in the Gold Cup final. So I got three topics we're going to run through real quick. You guys ready? Yes. Initial thoughts on the Gold Cup final win over Mexico. Give it to me, Mike D. USA A-team beat Mexico A-team in June for their first trophy of the National League, or uh, excuse me, Nations League team, or Nations League tournament, excuse me. Sunday, USA B-team or C-team beat Mexico's A-team in the Gold Cup final. Tons of young guys. So uh, I'm happy. I'm happy. We rose a trophy not once but twice against Mexico's A-team and uh, couldn't be happier. Cheyenne, your initial thoughts on the Gold Cup final win over Mexico? Super scrappy, but gave several of my 
uh, favorite MLS guys an opportunity to prove themselves. And as someone who attended the Nations League final and had the privilege of sitting in the CONCACAF official suite, which is a very interesting experience, I got to say, I don't feel as bad for not traveling to Las Vegas, but I'm glad that I stayed up and watched the game. Yeah, the games always seem to be late on the East Coast for all of us, but the game was awesome to watch. I was on the edge of my seat for the full 120 minutes. Obviously, Mexico looked like the better side throughout most of it, but it's this is the beautiful game of soccer. The better team doesn't always win. Mike, do you like I've said in the past three podcasts we've recorded, the U.S. national team not hasn't necessarily played beautiful soccer, but they've gotten the job done. They've always found a way to dig deep, find a way to dig deep, excuse me, just like they did in the Nations League final. The U.S. Men's national team with their A-team grinded out a 1-0 dub off a of Christian Pulisic PK. And the same way, we grinded our way into the second period of extra time. And Miles Robinson, center back from Atlanta United, was just a Syracuse a couple of years ago. What a dream for this guy. But he scores the game winner over Mexico in a tournament where a lot of people said that, hey, we're just trying to figure out who's going to be in the player pool for the World Cup qualifiers. And, you know, okay, yeah, we were supposed to be here in the final, but we're not here to really compete. So I think it says something not only for the players, but the culture that Greg Berhalter, Triple G, has created amongst this team, this sense of, belief. Matt Turner actually came out today with a quote. I don't have it directly in front of me, but I thought it was really cool. Basically saying that people are labeling the June team that won the Nations League Finals the A team and this team that just won Gold Cup as the B team. Like, no, this is a player pool and everybody is competing for spots. So with that being said, I think that's a perfect segue, guys. Who from the Gold Cup roster should or will we see on the World Cup qualifying roster? I am happy to answer that first. I know the obvious answer seems like Daryl DK. And uh, I, th- I think a lot of people are super hot on Matt Turner right now. But to go back to who we talked about previously, and I know you guys will agree with me, I think Helen Acosta was really the standout player in that tournament for me. I obviously, on paper, understand him as a number six. But he was just so much more flexible and versatile than that and was consistent throughout the tournament. I think a lot of things seemed super hopeful for him in 2017 and with us not making the world cup. And then with the perspective deal of him going abroad, falling through and just the way that things fell out with him in Dallas, I think it's really awesome to see him thriving. And I, I know that he'll continue building on the momentum that's been created for him this year, both for club and for country. I absolutely agree with your first pick there, Matt Turner. He's a lock. He has to be. He's got to be the number two guy if he's not giving um, Zach Steffen a run for his money. You know, Uh, I think Miles Robinson, James Sands, obviously Kellen Acosta, Matthew Hoppe. And I have Shaq Moore and Jossie Zardes. I think those guys, I think they're locks. I think they have to be in in the World Cup qualifying, whether or not they play or not. What Jossie did in, in that in that tournament uh, when he was when he was available or when he was playing, he worked so hard on both sides of the ball, and I, I think that you need somebody like that, accompanied with Matthew Hoppy, who had a great tournament. He's going to run at players. He, he's only going to continue to improve. 
Um, Shaq Moore being there as as a backup, you know, competing with with Reggie Cannon, James Sands, obviously Miles Robinson doing making their first caps in this tournament and and just blossoming beautifully into it. Those are my guys that are on lock right now that are that are going to to the World Cup qualifying. Um, I think everybody else for me that was there, uh, maybe not everybody, but a lot of those guys are on the fence. I mean, there's like 65 guys or so to choose from, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough decision. But those are the guys that I have. Yeah, Kevin Paredes was at one point one of those guys too. Yeah. By the way. Yeah, him and him and Nyman were uh, invited to the mm-hmm. camp to to do yeah. training, and um, Paredes said, you know, I saw an interview. He, uh, I won't get into it, but he 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 said that he loved being there, and Greg Berhalter really helped him, and he felt like he belonged. So, who knows? Aww. Yeah, I agree with you guys for the most part here, and it's it's a really good problem that we have, Mike. Do you just threw out the number? I don't know if it's correct or not. Sixty five guys in the player pool, like that's. And they're all really quality players. And it's nice that we can have this back and forth debate on, okay, who's better and why? And that's consistent throughout the starting 11. There's three or four guys at every position that we could say, yeah, they might deserve to start. But my guys are Kellen Acosta. Like I said, he, over the past few podcasts, he's one of the best two-way midfielders that the U.S. men's national team has. One of the best box-to-box guys that they have. It's a shame FC Dallas let him go because he's killing it at Colorado and now he's killing it with U.S. national team. So I won't be surprised if killing it Kellen goes overseas here pretty soon. You make me sick. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. One of the the biggest controversies in U.S. men's national team conversation right now is who's the starting number nine. And honestly, if you don't think Giassi Zardes is in the conversation, then you probably just hate MLS, to be honest with you. Giassi Zardes is a bona fide uh, player. He's, he loves to compete. He might not score the cleanest of goals, but Matthew Doyle said it, I believe on a, in a tweet today, it said, you know, if you're still talking about Giassi Zardes and his bad first touch, you're talking about five years ago when he was a winger for the LA galaxy, he's a different player now. So I think Zardes probably will get called up to the qualifiers. Matt Turner's pushing for the number one goalkeeping spot and miles Robinson. Like I said, he scored that game winner. He looked like an absolute monster. He doesn't lose 1v1 battles. You got a 1-2 around the guy. Miles Robinson is an absolute beast. So those are my four guys that are locks. But look, we're all MLS content creators here, right? So we're all here to promote the league, love the league, grow the league. And we're seeing it grow to a new level where we're becoming a, a selling league and we're buying players younger and then selling at, at a higher price. So Nine of 11 of the starters for the U.S. men's national team were MLS players. So simply put, what does a win like this say about the quality of MLS? I think we're building something really special with this league. Uh, Sam Vines, Busio, a few others are going to be headed to Europe after this. And that's huge because we, we set the stage for them. I know the simple mind would say, well, they're going to where football or where soccer is better. Yeah, but they got their start here. So not only did they get their start here, but they beat Mexico with that experience. So I think more than anything, it's telling Americans that there are Americans worth watching in MLS. But it also, I think, shows a lot of, I would say, South American uh, teams or players that the U.S. is a place to go if you do want to get more notoriety and maybe come back and play for your national team. I mean, 
Andre Blake is a guy I can think of off the top of my head who's done so well in MLS and is now the starting goalkeeper for his national team. And that's that's huge. It shows it shows a lot of people who actually pay attention to the sport that the MLS is a place where things are happening. Anyone else who's chirping about this being our B team, C team, whatever. I'm like, I I'm I'm confused as to how you think you're a U.S. soccer fan if you don't support Major League Soccer. It, I find it so baffling. And I every single time I get in an argument with somebody on Twitter, first of all, I never start it. But when someone brings that just nonsensical heat, I shut it down immediately. I'm like, you're not helping the discussion here. Some guy said, my four-year-old could, kick a, could finish a goal and find the back of the net better than Paul Ariola could. And I'm like, I want to meet your four-year-old, sir. Like what? What is this hyperbole? Why are you? Why are you saying this? Why does it matter? We won. Recognize that Greg Berhalter cares more about this team. Is going to see that and adjust accordingly for the next tournament, for the next game, qualifier, etc. Like, shut your mouth. And your four-year-old sucks. Is what I, <laughs> I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> American soccer fans are. As much as I hate to say it, they are among some of the worst in the world. They really are. But you made a really good point, which kind of leads, I mean, into my, where this MLS and where our league stands in the rest of the world and where it's going. It's another step in the right direction for me. We are now, and you can take it to the bank. You can hate me for saying we are now the best team in CONCACAF. We are. And you said, you know, a lot of these players, 90% of our players that are playing overseas made their start in MLS. So it's another step in the right direction. We've proven ourselves on a CONCACAF stage. Now we need to go out there and show the rest of the world who MLS is. And that starts with World Cup qualifying coming up here in August, I think. We are in August right now. September? I I think it's September, yeah. I'm like, wait a second, what year is it? (laughs) But it's crazy that it's already August. But look, you guys said it perfectly. I'm not going to waste my breath or words because I can't say it any better than Mike D or you, Cheyenne, just said it. The league is growing. The national team is growing. People need to put some respect on MLS and on the U.S. men's national team's name. But Cheyenne, before we let you go, have a good time out in Columbus tonight. Mike D, do you have any closing thoughts for Cheyenne? I don't. Cheyenne, thank you so much for coming on. You've been a great conversation. Your knowledge of MLS and DC United has been um, great to listen to. And we hope you have a good time in Columbus. And I uh, look forward to speaking with you soon and, and catch up with you on social media as you continue to put out this vlogs and to put out that, that historic uh, stadium video. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited for it. And I think I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you guys. I have really enjoyed some of your player interviews I mean, some as in the ones that I've had a chance to listen to because they are unique. And I think that they get into a conversation that you're, you don't hear a lot of podcasts get into, especially podcasts that aren't MLS sanctioned um, or sponsored rather. So this was awesome. And I will do all the Columbus things for you both so that you have an opportunity to live vicariously through me. Thank you so much. We appreciate the time, Cheyenne. I think we'll be seeing you in October, though. I believe Mike D and I are planning on traveling up to D.C. for the Columbus Crew D.C. match. So we'll be seeing you at Audi Field if you'll be there. Oh, yay. I forgot that we actually get to host the crew this year. <laughs> I was just thinking, ugh, the crew play well at home, but it's not fair that we play them both. <laughs> both games we played them this year are at home. But I'm glad. I look forward to seeing you guys. 
Beautiful. Well, Cheyenne, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your night. We hope you continue to enjoy, enjoy Columbus. And we hope that you enjoy the match at lower.com field. Hopefully it finishes 1-0 for you. <laughs> of course. Thanks, guys. Listeners, thank you for listening to Season 3, Episode 17 of MLS Gone Wild, featuring Cheyenne from the popular YouTube vlog, Between Clean Sheets. Guys, until next time, enjoy this double game week. I believe this is MLS Game Week 17. We're at the halfway point, so enjoy it. The U.S. Men's National Team are Gold Cup champions. We're on top of the world. We'll talk to you all soon. Peace.